Good morning. We'll be reading from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 12 to 20. And that's on page 662 in your pew Bibles. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded in harm to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is this too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. And we'll be reading also from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. That's page 961 in the Pew Bibles. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of God. Good morning. Last week, we finished the Alpha series that's being advertised behind me. And since it's the end of summer, we're transitioning out of that Alpha series and toward some new things that Phil has in store for us. But this weekend's a long weekend, and Phil is not with us this morning. So I thought, since it's Labor Day weekend, maybe we should take this opportunity to talk about our work. Because I think for many of us, we're gearing up for a return to school or much busier schedules at our jobs. And with fewer long weekends ahead of us and most of our vacations behind us, this can be a daunting precipice to stand on the edge of for the rest of the year. In our Old Testament reading this morning, it came from this book called Ecclesiastes. And this book has this teacher in it who's going to help us unpack today's message. In this book, he goes through and he picks apart just about everything that there is in the world. He just tears everything apart and finds that so much in life is meaningless, is vanity, is toiling after the wind. 
just wind and vapor. And here in this part of the book, the teacher turns his attention toward the topic of work, of labor. And these reflections may help us in our reflection and our own process of turning back toward our work and the year that lies ahead of us. He begins this section by saying, the sleep of a laborer is sweet. And already I feel like I can say amen to that. The sleep of a laborer is sweet. For me, this past week, after a full schedule of meetings and planning and looking forward to the year ahead, I actually moved on Friday. So I spent all of my evenings packing and cleaning and getting ready for a move. And then on Friday, I moved boxes and furniture and set up a room for me to live in again. And my brother was here to help me, which was not that restful because that meant when I wasn't moving, I had to keep him entertained with things to do all around the city. And by Friday night, I slept. And I slept well. (laughs) So you're not going to hear any argument from me that the sleep of a laborer is sweet. And I think that's true for most of us after hard days or hard weeks work. That sentiment probably rings loudly in many of our ears as we come to the end of summer that our rest was sweet. It was good, and maybe we're not looking forward to having to go back to everything that fills our work lives and our years so very full. But that's not where the teacher ends even that line, is it? He continues on, and I think the next part of this phrase surprises us when he says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether the laborer eats much or little. I think that's surprising. I think that may cut us off at the knees because it's not what we were expecting and it may knock the wind out from us because we were just talking about how well people who work hard rest. And now we are confronted with this reality that not all hard work feeds its workers, that not every good and valuable job worth doing takes care of the person whose sweat and labor have accomplished it. The teacher is not pulling any punches for us here. He is making us look hard into the face of work in this world and to realize that there is still profound injustice in it. That hard-working people should have bread for their stomachs. Yet in the midst of that, he has also pointed us towards surprising justice and joy in the midst of this tragedy, that even the one who eats very little will sleep well while the one who hoards their riches will not even have that comfort. They will be kept awake by their abundance. Abundance hoarded, the teacher tells us, harms its owners. It keeps them up at night, wondering if they have enough or how they might acquire more. Riches are a risk which can be mismanaged and lost, leaving nothing to care for children or for lands. It is fleeting like all earthly gain is fleeting. And this restlessness, the teacher says, is evil too. It is evil that a laborer might go to bed hungry. And it is evil that wealth hoarded is hoarded to its own owner's harm. Not being used for any good in the world. There should not be some who work and go hungry and still others who hoard their wealth and are restless because of it. That wealth isn't going anywhere with the wealthy when they die. And the teacher says it may even leave them sooner than that. So why isn't it feeding the hungry laborer now? 
These are the kinds of questions the teacher wants to stir up in its students and pupils, in our hearts and minds. And with these two evils in the world already recognized, we may be overwhelmed just three or four verses in. We may be overwhelmed recognizing the continued struggles of many hungry workers even in Canada and the struggles of the restless wealthy all around the world. But the teacher does not stop there, does he? He turns his attention to a third evil of work in the world which he sees and which I would actually like to focus on with you today. Vain and worthless work. He writes, what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. The third evil that the teacher sees when he considers work is that evil, that it is evil work if it is a toiling for the wind, if it is worthless, and while it may feed the person, they eat in darkness, and they are frustrated, they are hurt, and they are angry. They may not be hungry, but they aren't resting well either. They have an emptiness that money isn't filling. They have an emptiness that even their work isn't satisfying. They are working without meaning, and that is an evil which needs repairing. This is a theme throughout the Bible. In Haggai 1 verse 6, our first song this morning quoted it. It says, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And you that earn wages earn wages to put them in a bag with holes in it. It's vain and it's worthless work. It's a toiling for wind and things that are passing away. And it doesn't satisfy it doesn't leave us anxious to wake up the next morning. It doesn't feed us the food that we need. And I think this is really no surprise to our world either. It's throughout the scriptures, but I also think it's fundamental to human nature outside of the church. We desire meaning in our work, to know that at some level we are making a difference, that the things that we're doing matter and will make a change. And when we're not being satisfied by that, when we're not finding meaning in our work, we're unsettled and we're restless. I remember reading an article in the New York Times just a few years ago, and it highlighted that this exact reality is used frequently. It, the author was Japanese, and he was sharing about some employees in Japan where layoffs are taboo. And so if a company restructures, they won't lay off those employees. Instead, they'll put them in a boredom room or a chasing out room with no tasks to do or maybe just very busy work, like count the beans and then mix them up again and count the beans again and write a report. It's not satisfying. It's not worthwhile. And the goal is that these people will quit because there's nothing worth doing there. They may get a paycheck, but it's not satisfying and bored out of their minds or longing for some meaning in life, they leave. And this is an evil too. Even if it comes with a paycheck, meaningless and fruitless work is still evil. Fruitless work has been evil since the fall, and this evil and how it hurts the human heart is still known and still used in the world today. Toiling for the wind, toiling for the passing by and the passing away. Toiling with no discernible impact, 
no value and no tangible reward for the work, not even a good night's rest. This is wrong. This is evil. And Ecclesiastes can be quite a difficult confrontation with the problems in the world. And after journeying with the teacher to acknowledge these three evils of work, the evil of hungry workers, the evil of restless hoarders of wealth, and the evil of meaningless work, you may be even more intimidated by that precipice of the first week of September. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring you there. And so let's continue in this passage, because then having acknowledged that this evil that is present in the world and is the laboring of people, the teacher points us toward good news and toward blessing, because this is not God's best for the world. There's something more to be longed for. There's something more to be sought after. The teacher says, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God, gives them, God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. This goodness the teacher is observing are the very answers to those three evils which he has recognized for us. That workers might eat and drink and find joy in their work because it fills their lives. That those who have been blessed with wealth and possessions would enjoy them, and enjoying them does not mean just hoarding them in a variety of different means and ways, because that causes restlessness. Enjoying them means to use them wisely to provide for the future and for children and for workers who themselves need food. That all who work ultimately might be occupied with gladness of heart. There is good news in this fact that there is good work for us to do. There is good work which God has called each of you uniquely to. Good work for you to be satisfied in work well done, for you to enjoy the fruit of your labor. The fruit of work well done is rest well earned, in wealth enjoyed by caring for others, in lasting impact that is not a chasing after the wind. And this kind of occupation which gl gives gladness of heart is varied. There is no one kind of work which gives gladness of heart to all people. And in today's New Testament reading, we hear Jesus show us exactly this. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out many demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who enters God's kingdom? Who does Jesus say elsewhere in the gospel are truly his brothers and his sisters? Those who do the will of the Father. Those who do God's work for them in their lives. God's work, which I think is really amazing in this passage, is not the things which the people come clamoring, believing they are. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Did we not do all the righteous and the religious work to earn your approval? 
What more could you desire? I think that those are the things that our minds naturally gravitate toward for good and meaningful work and what that must mean in God's kingdom, what the will of the Father must be. So many names of the saints in the church are names of these kinds of people who prophesied and cast out demons and worked miracles. And if that was the requirement, I think I'd be afraid standing before you today because I haven't exercised a demon. I haven't uttered a word of prophecy that I know of. But Jesus says many will claim that they've been doing these things and he will tell them plainly that he did not know them. Because even if they were really doing those things, Jesus is indicating that that was not the will of his Father for them to do. Their work was not righteous. Their work was evil because it was meaningless and because it was not the will of the Father for them. We need not concern ourselves with doing the most churchy or the most religious work. I know that's probably surprising to hear coming from a pastor, but religious work is not the call of all people. The truth is that there is good work which is waiting for you to do amid all the injustice of work that the world offers, a work that is ordained by God for you to participate in, a holy office for you to be a priest in a cubicle or a priest in a butcher's shop or a priest in a courtroom. Because nurses and teachers and sanitation workers, stay-at-home parents or people who volunteer their time to feed the hungry or to be a welcoming face to students who are new in this city, and countless other occupations offer a gladness of heart if you do them with God and see the fruit of your work. There is a gladness of heart in these things because faithful people finding joy in their labor and seeing reward in their work are people who are revealing the kingdom of God in this place and at this time. Christian healthcare professionals point to the reality that in the kingdom of God, all will be healed. Christian engineers design and construct safer, better systems and structures in anticipation of the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Christian customer service representatives may offer caring words and helpful guidance to people who are in over their head in mazes of merchandise or of telecommunications bureaucracy, and they point to the servant heart of our God. Christian students studying in all kinds of fields are proclaiming the continued search for truth in all things and pointing to the promised reality that now we may know in part, but then we will know fully. Because to be following after Jesus means to be doing the will of the Father and the will of the Father for you. The will of the Father for you is to do good work which brings gladness of heart because it has substance and meaning for your life. It gives you purpose and it helps you glimpse that future which is still coming. And it helps you point others toward that future as well. You can be occupied with this gladness of heart wherever you go this week, as long as it's where God has led you. You can be occupied with this gladness of heart in everything that you do this week, as long as God has called you to do it. Then having worked the will of the Father in whatever occupation we find in our days as students or unemployed, professionals or retirees, we have the good promise that we will find sweet rest in the one who calls us his own, 
because we have done the will of the Father. And sweeter still, we know that it will be in that city which God is building even now through the work of our hands and the work of our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we are your church. And the body of Christ, this church, has many parts and many people called to many different things. We can scarcely imagine all the occupations which fill our days. We know some of them, and we know what occupy our days personally, but your church around the world is busy with so many different kinds of work. And so we pray that you would lead us into this work that brings us joy for our hearts, that you would provide for the hungry laborer, and that you would transform the hearts of the restless hoarders of wealth, that you would give meaning to those without meaning, that you would show us how even the most mundane tasks of our days reveal your kingdom. We pray that you would commission us to this work, that your spirit would fill us as we do this work, that we would be your people pointing to your kingdom and all the occupations of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.